0: In this blessed morning, the reading taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, from verses 1 to 10, in the Bible, uh, Pew Bible, page 1187, Paul and Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brother and sister, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with the words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we live among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you will come The message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you give us. They tell how you turn to God from idol to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom we raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from coming wrath. This is the words of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Topo. Imagine that someone who had visited this church was to write to us and to say that they prayed regularly for us and remembered our works and labor, our endurance, our imitation of Christ, and asserted that we were models for all believers. And that the word of God, the gospel, was ringing out from this church to the whole of London. Just imagine that for a moment. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be wonderful? I hope we'd all agree that we all ought to be striving to be worthy of such a letter. And that's what we're going to think about today. But first, let's pray. Father, we pray that you would revive us. Stir us up so that we would be like the church to which the Apostle Paul wrote in Thessalonica. Amen. Amen. If you were at the evening service last week, you would have heard about Paul's first visit to Thessalonica. Uh, His ministry was fruitful there and a church was founded but there was also opposition and he had to flee first to Berea uh, a few dozen miles down the coast and then by sea to Athens. Fortunately however he was able to leave Timothy and Silas behind and ultimately they rejoined Paul this time when he was in Corinth And they brought with him a report about what was going on in the Thessalonian church. And as you will have gathered from our passage today, it was a good report. Uh, The Thessalonians were, however, troubled with a few things. Uh, After all, they were brand new Christians and they had some questions. And so Paul wrote to them, uh, both to encourage them and also to address their questions And that's the letter we are looking at today, or rather looking at the first part of today. And and of course, the first thing we need to note is what it was that Paul commended the Thessalonians for. Well, actually, of course, I've already mentioned them just before we prayed. But but let's remember them. Uh, He says in verse 3 that that, uh, he talks about their work and their labor. In other words... Their solid service of God. He talks about their endurance in the same verse. Endurance in the face of the persecution that Paul himself had experienced when in Thessalonica. Uh, And also, as we learn elsewhere, endurance in the face of extreme poverty. Uh, Indeed, if you were to look down to verse 6, you would see he talks about their severe suffering. And they were enduring in it. In verse 6 as well, he talks about uh, how uh, you imitated us and the the Lord. In other words, they imitated Paul, what they saw of the way he lived. But much more importantly, they imitated Jesus. And as a result, verse 7, they became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. And finally... He mentions, verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. A pardonable exaggeration on the part of Paul there. It must have been wonderful. The Thessalonians were doing all of the things that the New Testament urges that we should do. Uh, Of course, this passage doesn't talk about any particular things that they were doing. It's non specific. And I'm not going to pick something arbitrarily and talk about it this morning. What we need to focus on is the big picture. And I'd suggest the best way of doing that is simply to ask ourselves a few questions. How's our work and labour, service of God, going? Are we showing endurance in the face of hardship? To what extent are we imitating Jesus? Are we a model for other Christians? And can we really say the gospel is ringing out from this place all over London? Now, I I suspect just asking those questions uh, gives us sort of the answers to them. Yeah, we're doing some things and we're doing quite well in some, not so well in others. But the truth is, we get a could-do-better, don't we? Paul, in other letters, says that we should be working really hard at this. We should strain every muscle like an athlete. Serving God is a serious thing, and we need to take our responsibilities seriously. So, point number one, fairly self-evidently, we should strive to be like the Thessalonian church. But, but we need to look more at what Paul said. Um, what was it that inspired the Thessalonians to behave like that? What was it that lay behind it? Well, Paul actually says it, if you look, in verse 3. By the way, I do recommend you have this open in front of you. It's page 1186 if you, if you haven't. So, so what was it? Verse 3, we remember before our God and Father your work, produced by faith, your labour, prompted by love, and your endurance, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We mustn't be wooden about this. Oh yes, I've got it. Faith inspires work, love inspires labour, whatever the difference between those two is, and hope inspires endurance. It's not like that. The New Testament makes it clear that faith, love and hope are all intertwined, that that each one of them builds up the others. uh, They they interact. And of course, we require all three of those things. So so it's worth just spending a moment uh, on, on all three of them. Let's start with faith. Paul mentions it first. Faith in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus for our salvation. And it's clear that the Thessalonians had that in abundance. Take a look at the second, well, the middle of verse 8. Your faith in God has become known everywhere, therefore we don't need to say anything about it. For they themselves, that's the Macedonians and Archaeans, they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The Thessalonians had turned away from the gods that their ancestors had worshipped for hundreds of years. They turned away from the gods who doubtless many members of their own families continued to worship. They turned away from the gods who were at the heart of the civic ceremonies every day in their city. And they'd done so because they concluded that those gods were mere lifeless idols. And as Paul puts it here, they turned to the living and true God, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as it's put elsewhere, the God of the Old Testament, the God perfectly revealed in Jesus. They they had turned and left behind what their ancestors and their families and others were doing, even then. Now, it may be that there are some of us here who likewise have turned to Jesus uh, from the worship of, of, of other gods. But, but I suspect that's not true of most of us. In fact, I know it's not true of most of us. You see, our ancestors generally were at least nominal Christians, And so, when we've turned to Jesus, we haven't had to make the decisive break from our background that the Thessalonians had had to make. And therein lies the danger. You see, for the Thessalonians, there was a clear binary choice. Were they going to follow the gods, the idols of their ancestors, or were they going to turn and follow Jesus? There couldn't be any sitting on the fence. The danger for us is precisely because it's less clear that consciously or unconsciously we'll try to keep a foot in both camps. And and we need to ask ourselves whether we are doing that because, in fact, we have the same binary choice. If we fail to commit to Jesus, our faith will be deficient, our trust in Jesus will be incomplete, and our service will of Jesus will be incomplete so we just need to focus on that element of our faith all right faith love it's it's much easier to do things for something, for somebody if you love them isn't it and if we find serving Jesus difficult we ought to ask ourselves do, do do we love him as we ought to The Apostle John says that we love because he loved us first. So if our love for for Jesus is weak, we need to ask, have we fully appreciated the extent of Jesus' love for us? Have we appreciated what Jesus has done for us? Go back to the end of verse 9. They, that's the Macedonians and Archaeans, tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. That ought to wake us all up, Actually. I mean it's a bit of a bit of a shock, suddenly in this passage, talking about the wrath of God. Why did Paul put that in this passage? Well, the reason I think is because underlying the Thessalonians' love, and I suspect their their faith and their hope, was an appreciation that Jesus had rescued them from the coming wrath. The New Testament actually talks a lot about the wrath of God. Don't let anyone persuade you that this is a a rather embarrassing Old Testament uh, uh, subject which we can safely ignore. We can't. Think about Jesus' parable of the weeds. That ends with him saying that he will send out his angels and they will weed out from his kingdom all who do evil, cast them on the fire where there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. As I've said many times... Jesus used that expression time and again. Or, or what about this from, uh, from Ephesians? Among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. If we don't understand about this, we will never fully grasp the love of Christ. God is coming in judgment. And we're guilty before God. And Jesus saves us from the consequences of that guilt. This is how Paul put it in his letter to the Romans, Romans 5.9, if you want to look it up afterwards. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? We, we've been declared righteous in God's eyes despite our guilt owing to what Jesus did in dying on the cross. And so Jesus saves us from the wrath of which uh, Jesus himself spoke. Jesus saves us from the coming wrath. The Thessalonians appreciated that, and their love of Jesus was doubtless based on it, and that resulted in action. And we need to make sure that we've fully got that, and that we therefore are able to appreciate God's love, and hopefully find our own love for him increasing and recognise our responsibility to respond to that love. Faith, love, hope. If you have hope, it's much easier to cope with adversity than if you haven't got hope, isn't it? Hopelessness is utterly debilitating. It it, it undermines everything we do. I, I suspect all of us from time to time have experienced not a that really deep feeling of hopelessness, but, but 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 a feeling of just having lost hope in particular things. And do you want to do anything? You don't. You just think it's not worth it. There's no hope. Uh, sadly, I've met quite a lot of people over the last few years uh, who seem to have lost hope. And even more sadly, that includes a number of Christians. We, we, we look around us at wars and threats of bigger wars, and political instability, frankly, all around the world, famine, natural disasters, climate change, economic problems, social problems. I could go on. And there's a danger that we succumb to hopelessness. And yet, I suspect... That the Thessalonians would have exchanged their position for ours in an instant. This was much worse. So why did they have hope? What was it that gave them hope? Go back to the end of verse nine. They tell how you turned from God to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. That's it. They were waiting for Jesus' return, recognizing that God raised Jesus from the dead and would raise them as well. I know everyone will be familiar, well, most of you will be familiar with this passage from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 15, but it's worth repeating. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what the Thessalonians were looking forward to. That put all their other problems into the shade. And we should focus on it as well, because it will put everything else out there into the shade. So, the Thessalonians had strong faith and love and hope, and that inspired all of their actions. But there's something even deeper that Paul says. The Thessalonians had strong faith, love and hope because the Holy Spirit was working in them. Go back to verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. God had chosen the Thessalonians and they become Christians not because of Paul's words. Oh, they were necessary as the medium through which the gospel came to the Thessalonians. But the Thessalonians have become Christians through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said when speaking in the evening service uh, a month ago, I appreciate there a number of Christians that are uneasy about that. But, but there's no need for uneasiness. And in any event, it is stated in the Bible on a number of occasions. You see, the problem is that in our sinful state, uh, our minds are affected and we are... Unable to respond to the, the gospel. Uh, Paul says that expressly in 2 Corinthians 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We therefore need God's help, everyone does, to, to, to respond to Jesus. By grace you have been saved through faith, And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. That's Ephesians 2.8. Phrases like, the word of God is powerful, are often stated and we hear them, maybe we use them. Probably sometimes without really thinking what we're saying or what we're hearing. Maybe not really really absorbing the significance what we're being told here in verse 4 is that it was because of the power of God that the Thessalonians turned to Jesus God has decided that people will follow Jesus and so they will verse 5 our gospel came to you not simply with words but with power and with the Holy Spirit but, but But, I need to be very clear about this that 's not saying that God in some way overrides our volition. Now, the New Testament stresses time and again that we need to repent and turn to Jesus, and that is an act of our own volition. But Jesus also said that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness, and judgment. When I quoted verse 5 just now, I left out the end. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. The Thessalonians were deeply convicted about this. They were deeply convicted by the gospel, but it was the Holy Spirit's work in them which gave that conviction. And of course, the Holy Spirit doesn't stop working when we become Christians. In fact, that is just the beginning of the Holy Spirit's work. Paul mentions briefly another work of the Holy Spirit in verse 6. He says that the Thessalonians had joy given by the Holy Spirit. But that's only a small part of what the Bible tells us about the work of the Spirit. Paul sums it up in his letter to the Philippian church, about 100 miles along the coast east from Thessalonica, when writing to that church, he says that he is confident that God, who began a good work in them, would bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it was because he recognised that, that he prayed for the Thessalonians, as we learn in verse too. He says that he continually mentioned them in his prayers. He knew that it was only because the Holy Spirit was at work that they had responded to the gospel and that they were thriving as a church. And so he prayed that the Lord would continue to work in them. And that points to the really key thing that we need to take away from this Passage. What do we need to do in response to this passage? Well, yes, we do need to strive to imitate the Thessalonian church. That's really important. Let's be worthy of a letter like the one that I described at the start. Yes, we do need to do that. Yes, we need to seek to deepen our faith, make sure we haven't got a foot. In two camps, make sure we are putting our faith wholly in Jesus. Yes, we do need to focus on what Jesus has done for us so that we appreciate his love and um, uh, can, can love in return. Yes, we do need to focus on that wonderful hope that we've got to come. But above all, we need to thank God for the fact that he has been working in us and to pray that he would continue to work in us, pray that he would transform us, a word frequently used in, in, in the Bible. Oh, and by the way, I'm not talking about this on an individual basis. I'm not saying that we should each individually thank God for what he's done in us individually and pray that he would continue to transform us individually. that no, we should do that. This is a collective thing. Paul was writing to a church And the same with uh, Philippians, as I described it. We should all be regularly thanking God for what he's done in all of our brothers and sisters here. Do you do that? I sometimes do it. But we should. We should be thanking God that he has been at work in everyone who's here. And we should pray that he who began a good work in the brothers and sisters here in St. John's, would carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, we need God to strengthen our faith, increase our love, increase our our, our hope. We need God to transform us so that we would be inspired to do the things that the Thessalonian church were doing. And to do that, we need to pray, pray continually to to God. Pray that God would be working in us as a church, as individuals, in one another. And and, and here, in closing, is is, is the real challenge of this passage. Will you commit, over the coming year, to pray regularly regularly? for that. Pray that the power of God would be manifest in each and every member of this church and thus in the church as a whole so that a letter like that that was written to the Thessalonians could be written of us. That's the challenge. Amen. Amen.